Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Mike Renner. We are live on YouTube today, this Wednesday edition of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. I have to start with this. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get an Apple podcast, because we have a Curtis Weaver interview. I talked to him, um, I think it was last week, talked to him about his process, what he's doing now to prepare for the combine. What's funny, I brought up to him, I was like, hey man, are you you know cutting weight you know, for, in, in preparation for the combine? Or are you kind of adding weight? Where are you at? And he's like, dude, you know I'm cutting weight. You guys call me a fat boy on the podcast all the time. So a little stunned, a little stunned at first, and we were FaceTiming, so I could kind of see his body language, and he was kind of laughing about it, and he's like, no, I I agree with you guys. I am a fat boy. Did he look fat? I was going to say, like, you saw his whole body. He didn't look skinny. Let's just go out and say it. Okay, he didn't look skinny, but he said, my agent says I'm fat. He's like, my agent says I'm fat. You guys say I'm fat. I think I'm fat. I got to cut weight. So right now, he's working with Exos, which every every prospect, they have a monopolization on this kind of thing, but he's working with Exos and Club Sexy. So some some of the prospects are in a different workout program trying to add weight, add beef. He's in club sexy version of that i didn't ask him who the other people in that club were but he's trying to cut weight mm-hmm. three workouts a day he's limited from a calorie perspective over a gallon and a half of water a day he said it's tough it's a grind and i asked him what's like kind of the thing he's missed the most you know from like his old diet habits he's like dude when you're in college you're trying to find stuff that's cheap and usually the stuff that's cheap is pretty bad for you he didn't give me any mm. specifics but uh it sounded like that guy likes some fast food Sounds he bad. liked some fast hey, food we've all been there no we I, have, I, dude, if you've seen pics of me in college on. i had to cut weight too yeah to you get, were a beat to get to my nfl career i mean san diego in san diego it's mexican food city and you just have like carne asada fries quesadillas corn traps just oh, yeah. like constant state of cheese and grease which uh i kind of it's actually the name of my other podcast it's a food review podcast Podcast called uh, Constant State of Cheese and Grease. Uh, actually, we're going to move forward here. But again, subscribe to the podcast. That won't be on the live version here on YouTube, but it will be in the podcast when we do drop it. Let's go ahead and dive into what we're diving into today, though. Buyer or buyer beware prospects. You dropped the article yes. on PFF.com on February 7th. This is prospects that are getting a lot of hype. Well, not a lot of hype, but some hype, but there are some. No, these are all pretty, yeah, these are all pretty much like first to second round type of prospects at this point. And, and the reason they're buyer beware, because there are some significant red flags, whether it be off the field, injury, or even in their production. No, these are all, these are all on field. On field red, red flags. flags. On these are, field. These are what we do at PFF. We don't we don't do dive too much into the off field mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, our whole shtick is that we grade every player we play. So we gotta we gotta focus on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's something in each of these guys, either grades, stats, something that's like Worries us. Gotcha. Not writing them off. Mm-hmm. Just saying it worries us. Yeah. So that's a, what we're getting there's there. a little little red flag in there. Let's start with the first prospect on the article here. Caleb on Chason of LSU. Some people are hyping this guy into the first round. They like him as one of the better edge defenders in this class. I mean, it's obviously Chase Young, AJ Epinesa, but then Caleb on Chason enters the mix. Yes. Know, there's others that have him as that a edge three in this class. Why are you kind of you know hesitant? Why is he a buyer beware prospect? There's a number of reasons. One is like he is undersized. The dude's, you know, barely tipping it at about 250 right now. Uh, obviously, he's still young. Uh, I believe redshirt sophomore this past year um, has been, you know, starting or playing significant time for them ever since freshman year. So play back in 2018, 313 snaps towards ACL in 2018, 61 snaps into that. And then was a full time starter this past year, 745 snaps. But on those, never been super productive as a pass rusher. And so. That freshman year, only a 65.7 pass rushing grade. This past year, only 78.9 pass rushing grade. And again, we talk about like the pass rushing grade. We try to isolate for factors. But when you have a lot of opportunities, when you're ahead uh, and you know, know you're going to rush the passer, it's difficult to kind of uh, account for that. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of like D Ford that year for the Chiefs when he had by far his best season. Well, they also had monster leads and knew they were going to be, you know, teams yeah. were passing on them all third quarter and fourth quarter. And so we knew he could rush the passer, you know, didn't have to worry about the run. You can't necessarily account for that in the grading. 
Caitlin Chaseon had that this year for LSU. They were dominating teams every third and fourth quarter this year. All he knew he had to do was just play, uh, just rush the passer, and still only a 78.9 grade, 35 pressures. And it's like being undersized with usually helps you in terms of the grading in college. You usually worry about guys who get like, you know, 90 plus pass rushing grades, but oh, they're just around 250 because, you know, offensive tackles in college are just far less athletic. You should be able to beat them far more easily if you're that sort of, you know, elite athlete with that quickness. That doesn't necessarily happen at the NFL level. You have to have a little more tools in your toolbox. So for him not to be on the level, being an undersized edge defender, it's just like a little worrisome. Mm-hmm. Now he he does have as physical as like as impressive a physical profile as anyone outside of Chase Young in this class, but that only gets you so far. Yeah, and it should it should have you know translated better to the college level is what we're saying. And I think that's what we always look at. It's like you know it's easy to kind of come away with certain players. Even I mean, not, he's not the same player, but Terrell Lewis. You go back to like, hey, he looks the part. He has this profile, mm-hmm. uh, an athletic profile and you know, and a size profile where you like, man, this guy. If you were going to build an edge defender in a lab, this is him. Yeah. But then it, the question comes like, why aren't you producing at a high level? And I think that same question applies to Caleb on chase on. You had these opportunities. And when you did, you did not produce at a high level. Where is Caleb on right now on your board at PFF? And do you see him rising late in the process with a good combine? Do you see there's opportunities to get him further up or is he kind of sticking? I where think he at? rises with a good combine. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely, you know, he goes sub seven, three cone four five, something mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, you can get into some top 10 hype and people have them, you know, top 10, top 15 on their draft boards. More, more worried. Like we're a little more hesitant. I'm just, he's in more in the second, third round mix for us. 48th overall on PFS. 48th overall. Yeah. Like he's just, it's like, I, I could, I could buy into those physical tools in the second, third round. To me, it's very similar to a guy like not necessarily uh, Tyus Bowser coming out of Houston, uh, who was freakishly athletic, tested off the charts, really hadn't produced much. Mm-hmm. And it's like that guy was like a second or third. He was like a third rounder. Um, now, he's a little, he's obviously shown a little bit more than Tyus Bowser did, but it's like Bowser's done nothing in the NFL because if you're that athletic and it hasn't turned on yet, uh, like it might take you a while to learn how to rush the passer and that sort of stuff at the NFL level. So, yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at with Caleb on. It's just a day two guy. Dias Bowser across 398 defensive snaps last year. Career high for him, a 70.4 overall grade. Look, it's it was in six, year three. Year Four. three, 69.8 PFF pass rush grade. And I think he has, you know. Where did like he go, third round? I think uh, he went in the second round, 47, second round. 47 overall. So, so yeah. He has not produced, but he did have that athletic profile that people covet. So there you are. All right, let's go to the next guy here. We have Makai Becton of Louisville. I mean, we've heard this guy go in the top five. There are going to be NFL teams that love Makai Becton. But and I, I, I totally agree with you on the red flag you highlight here. He is does not have good production in these things called you know true passes that PFF yeah. identifies as really predictive statistics when you mm-hmm. do not perform well in true passes, which removes things like screens, play action, you know, uh, short dropbacks, those things. When you he does not perform well in those yeah. and he had a limited sample size of those true pass sets yeah so that's the thing he had a, on 73 true pass sets last year the nfl leader was jake matthews who had 390 mm-hmm. and so uh the 32nd ranked tackle last year at 250 so basically he'll take four times as many in his first year in the nfl if he's the first if he starts a full year than he did last year a little like he'll wow. get tested four times as much as he did last year and on those he had a 64.7 pass blocking grade against college edge defenders 
So like, I'm just, I'm not, again, I'm not writing this guy off. I'm just saying it could be rough out the gate because he has no experience as a pass protector. And no experience. Does. And in the experience he does have, it wasn't it was good. good. It yeah. was not good. And I think you, I think you can bring up a great point. He's going to go quadruple his experience in true pass sets as a rookie. If he does get drafted in the top five, cause he's starting mm-hmm. if he gets drafted in the top five and that rookie season will be tough for him. Very tough. And that's the thing. It's like when a top 10 sort of player, Yes, you want to hit a home run. You want to get that. But you also want to maximize your rookie contract. Like mm-hmm. You want value right out the gate. You want guys who are going to add to your team right out the gate, not be liabilities who all of a sudden year three, year four turn into quality starters, year five turn into you know pro bowlers. That's not the career path you want from a first rounder. Go sign, you know, go sign off and sack them for agency. If that's yeah. like what you want, go, you know, pay, go pony up for Trent Brown. If that's like the production you want, don't draft that guy in the top 10 because it'll just you'll have those growing pains that you do not want from a top 10 pick. You want that guy to make an impact right away, even if maybe his ceiling's not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, this all world moves like, you know, Mekhi Becton, you know, Orlando pace or whatever uh, sort of ceiling, even if that's not uh, who he's going to be. You want the guy who can produce for you right out the gate. So that's just the worrisome thing to me mm-hmm. about Becton is he. he I don't think next year it's going to turn on. And I don't mm-hmm. think for a few years, just with how raw he is coming out. Here. I mean, in a similar vein, you could compare Kayla Von Chase on and Mikai Becton very similar in what their red flags are. Like Kayla Von Chase on very good athletic profile. You like his tools, but in this, you know, in these key areas, when you need to produce, when you need to have mm-hmm. a ton of pass rush productivity, Kayla Von Chase on hasn't delivered with Mikai Becton in these true passes, despite being the size of, you know, a mountain, despite mm-hmm. being this, this athletic guy that throws people to the turf has not performed well in this area. And I think again, these, two players you know you love what the, you see from an athletic standpoint and size standpoint but again not not delivering in these key production areas yeah, going to exactly. going to quarterback jordan love of utah state <laughs> this one's obvious if you don't have this red flag for, if you don't have this red flag for jordan love like what are you doing are you even looking at this draft he turns the ball over way more than he should almost had more turnover worthy plays than big time throws last year which is always mm-hmm. a concern that ratio really takes in mind your high end and your low end and you always want the high a lot of high end and not a lot of low end like a drew Brees level of ratio but he back and forth like a Jameis Winston or a Ryan Fitzpatrick when he's feeling feeling spicy. I think Jordan Love is in that same boat in terms of takes risks and does not back those risks up with enough good plays. Yeah. And and it's it's difficult to separate player from uh, sort of talent around him at the quarterback position, especially it is the most, you know, like it we've seen again and again, it does depend on the guys around you. But I do think Jordan Love just like the fact that it was so bad, such a big issue. And this isn't the only obviously issue with him as a turnover. They plays. there's a lot of other things on his tape that are worth, you know, sort of red flags and even statistically are red flags. But the, the closest sort of corollary in our data to Jordan Love that we saw was Sam Darnold, which is not a good, you know, like that's not a great yep. sort of uh, projection for you. Uh, Love had 26 turnover where he plays this past year. Darnold had 30. Uh, when he was, you know, before he was the number three overall pick in his junior year, he obviously had that big soft, it's a very similar sort of career. He's had that big year that put him on the map at USC and then a massive regression the next year. Had lost some talent around him, yes. 30 turnover worthy plays that's, that season, but also 35 big time throws. Love very similar. 31 big time throws this past year, 26 turnover worthy plays, but it's like those issues have still persisted in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold. He still had been extremely inconsistent, had a lot of turnover worthy plays in the NFL. It's not gotten better. It's not all of a sudden changed around and so like blaming it on the guys around him. Yes. But like, you're not, you don't always go to a situation in the NFL where it's perfect. And a lot of times if you're a guy, a quarterback going to a team that needs a quarterback, it's definitely not going to be perfect. It's like they need a quarterback because it's probably not a great team. So uh, I do think that Jordan love, like 
there's too many red flags at this point for me to even come close to drafting him in what, top 20. What was your final take and your opinion overall on Jordan Love at the Senior Bowl? How do you think he approached that week and, and the game, etc.? Again, I think it was just very indicative, or not indicative, but very... Um, just I guess indicative of the right word indicative of the guy who he's been you know throughout his career just up and down inconsistent uh, alternates very impressive high level throws with very uh, ugly decisions ugly decisions ugly misses that it's like can you clean up those ugly misses I don't know like yeah. it's the quarterback position obviously a very difficult thing to uh, evaluate <laughs> but it's like can you can you change a, a guy? And we actually had that good conversation with Seth Galina about how he thought, you know, Sam Darnold, you know, hadn't played quarterback a long time. So he thought you could clean up, you know, the, the, feet in the pocket, that inconsistency. You thought you could like uh, get over those because he hadn't been playing that long. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, year three and it's same, same shit's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like some guys, maybe it does. Sometimes maybe you can actually coach that out of them. I'm not going to take that risk, though. Again, it's like this is what we're saying, though. This is a- added risk that you don't necessarily need. But again, at the quarterback position, it's one of those positions where it's like the risk reward. You almost throw out the window compared to every other position because the reward is just so much higher. In Sam Darnold's in Sam Darnold's career, he's had 36 big time throws and 44 turnover worthy plays. That inconsistency yeah. still persists. I mean, some of that you can blame on scheme. You know, I think Seth Galina brings up a good point that he's still learning the position, very much learning yeah. the position. But again, at a certain point, can you coach that out of him? Yeah. Can you coach that out of him to a point where you could build around him as a franchise starter? I don't know. I think that inconsistency coaching it out of them is way easier said than done at all positions, let alone quarterback moving to another quarterback on this buyer. Beware list. It's Jacob Easton of Washington. And we talked about it with um, Trevor Sigma of the draft network and, and bringing him up. It's like, Hey, there's a lot of things you can like in this game, but his play under pressure Though volatile, player under pressure is very volatile year over year. College to pro, but if it's as bad as it is with Eason, it's a huge red flag. Yeah. It's like, can you climb out of the crater that is your absolute destruction under pressure to a point where you're even just in the 60s, where you're in this? You know, so, so I guess that's the thing. It's like it's volatile, but Tom Brady's not acting like that. Tom Brady's not getting a 30 grade under pressure. No, you know, so it, so so Eason this past year had a 37.6 passing grade under pressure. The only lower quarterback in our top 10 quarterbacks. So that's Joe Burrow, Josh Love, Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Tua Tungvaloa, Jordan Love, Anthony Gordon, and Cole McDonald, the other ones. Cole McDonald's the only one lower than him in that top 10 in terms of great under pressure. No one had a worse EPA per play under pressure. And it's not even actually close in that regard. Easton, oh, minus man. 0.626 EPA per play. <laughs> over 0.2 lower than anyone else. And the thing is, he had a good offensive line that is the other thing here. He had, you know, Trey Hilbers on the right. Jared Hilbers Jesus on the right side. Trey Adams on the left side. Nick Harris at center. All three of you guys are going to be drafted uh, in this upcoming draft. So three draftable offensive linemen. You had, you know, was not under pressure that much for you to collapse that. Usually that means you should be more comfortable when pre- like you should uh, it's like for him to collapse that much under pressure is very very concerning because he'll only see more at the next level yeah and i think that's that's a good point like as volatile as you know play under pressure is like being as bad as jacob Eason yeah. was it's hard to project exactly. him getting significantly better better to a point where it's not such a big flaw that you you, you feel uncomfortable having confidence in him su- surviving the next level yeah you'll see like drew Brees have an average season under pressure mm-hmm. you'll see like uh you know like i said tom brady uh patrick mahomes like grayed out like all right under and then, pressure and, the high 50s, and, and then sometimes 60s. very high russell Wilson, you know sometimes very high 
you don't see those guys go from ass to then great the next year. Like that's not how it, that's not what we're saying by volatile. It's just not like, Oh, Russell Wilson, you know, his grades top five every year. So his passing and pressure is top five. No, his clean pocket play will be top five every year. His passing and pressure will sometimes go from average. to. So you can't correct. Yeah. And what my biggest takeaway from what you said, and, you and just Trubisky can't. doesn't all of a sudden put up a number one grade. Under exactly. pressure. That's yeah. you can't correct ass levels of grading <laughs> under pressure. You just can't. And that's the biggest takeaway. That, I have. And Jacob Eason, from what we've seen, that should from, be a headline we write about. Exactly. I'm right. I'm actually typing that out right now. It, it, for Jacob Easton, he right now at the college level, if you look at his production, is ass levels of under pressure. And with that being said, like, can you coach well, you out of him? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Let's uh, let's go to the next guy on this list. Yeah, and play under like it's more. And it's not just like okay, the grade was bad. It's how he looks as well. When it's mm-hmm. like panicky, like throws that just like. Uh, you know, guys throwing it just like before a guy is even in your face and like it wasn't actually yes, the pressure, phantom like pressure, the phantom pressure scary, sort of stuff. Very yeah. scary. Like the Derek exactly. Carr kind of stuff. Being like, unable to. Yes. Yep. When you, when so. you, it's, it's one thing to make, make worse decisions under pressure. Every quarterback in the NFL, not mm. surprising anyone is worse under pressure than they are from a clean pocket when they're not in an ideal situation. But when you start to invite pressure, when you start to react to early, re- react too early to pressure, this phantom pressure, and they can't make any plays. And, and you, that is where you really start to be concerned. I think, you bring up a good point when Jacob Easton, like even as even as pressure is just starting to, you know, just starting, he starts to panic, starts to really yeah. fall. Well, you compare it to like a Joe Burrow, where he like dominates under pressure, exactly. he welcomes it, he understands that it's coming. It's yeah, dude, Joe Burrow's great under pressure. Actually, I got this right here, eighty point five. That's absurd. That That's is absurd. crazy. Compa- like eighty point five is higher than a good deal. And a lot of that is just comfortability, class. like yeah. confidence in your ability. Like, hey, when it's under pressure, I don't have to like you know curl into a ball into the field position, cry myself out of this. You can like, hey, I can make yeah. a play here. And and I think that acceptance that like hey it's not a great situation i need to make the best of this situation not be a hero make the best of this situation again is a part of that's coaching mm-hmm. a part of that's just like confidence and mentality um running back deandre swift of georgia another guy on this buyer beware list it, and you wrote here in the article lack of elite level play yeah. for deandre swift so it's, more about that. it's basically what your expectation for deandre swift are he's still our number two running back. Like we're still at very high on DeAndre Swift. Like I think he's a very, you know, feel like we're going to draft a running back. We take Zach Moff first and then DeAndre Swift. It's more expectations of, are you drafting this guy in the first round to be, um, gosh, even like, even like Josh Jacobs last year, Josh Jacobs had a better statistical and grading profile than DeAndre Swift. Basically one, he's never graded out exceptionally well. His, his best full season grade was only 80.3. Of all the first round running backs drafted uh, since we started grading college prospects, that would be by far the lowest oh, wow. of anyone. The the lowest before him was Todd Gurley, who uh, I don't know if you remember, but averaged like three point one yards per carry one year. So like Todd, <laughs> like it might not be like he's not going to be this guy that changes around your rushing offense is kind of what we're saying. And two, he ran behind the highest graded power five run blocking offense line uh, that that's always worrisome to me when a guy has that because it's never going to be as good in the NFL. No. It's just like that situation. You're, you're always going to see worse holes. Uh, and you, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I know that you're always going to see worse holes at the next level though. You don't get the same opportunities that you do in college. <laughs> exactly. Once you graduate, like it, it, the holes just get worse. I, I don't think that's, I don't no. even think that's a hot take. Like, <laughs> it just does. I've, I've experienced that in full force. Like, it's honestly a problem. And I'm still it's trying to more rally out on the, yeah, on the, out in the wild. But the other thing is, is like broken tackles rate um, yards after contact per attempt. None of them have ever been at an elite level. And yes, he has amazing receiving skills. He is a great receiver. Like, he has, you can split him out wide, use him in that regard. And that's the reason why we're still so high on him. 
But if you're expecting this first round guy to all of a sudden change around your running game without you know significant investment in your offensive line, he's just going to get better results than what you had at the running back position before. I don't think he's that level of running back. I'm with you. I'm looking at this list of these running nothing, backs. There's nothing in like the data or grading that suggests that. Mm-hmm. Is all I'm saying. I, and I'm, I'm looking at this list of the you know running backs drafting the first round, their grades at, at the college level. Rashad Penny, 88.2. Go Aztecs. That's mm-hmm. I feel like my biggest takeaway from that list. But uh, DeAndre Swift, you, you have to be, and, and behind that offensive line, I will say this though, in PFF's grading system, specifically for running backs, a very good offensive line can almost limit your opportunities to grade at a high level because you don't have those opportunities to force push tackles behind the backfield and that kind of stuff. Like when you, uh, no, but like it's easier to break a tackle when you are given at space. the second level yes, and the third exactly. level. I guess that's space. true. But I think with Rashad Penny, he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage a ton in college, even though he was running behind San Diego State's offensive line. When you when you yes, have those did. opportunities and you're breaking those tackles, you're gonna you know you're gonna grade you know a little bit better yeah. in the system. I will say that. All right, let's go to the safety position. Grant Delpit of LSU. I mean the, the red flag we've been talking about that's the entire podcast. About. I feel like that we started the podcast on this red flag missed tackles for grand Delpit is his achilles heel like i mean he does not it's tackle no yeah he does not tackle well much. in open space he doesn't tackle well you know in contested situations. i mean this yeah. guy is just not a good tackler yes that's very that's just the best way to describe it he's just not a good tackle <laughs> yeah he missed over a quarter of his tackles mm-hmm. in a full season is like a crazy rate and it's yes um we're still high on them. Yeah. Like we, we, we care more about the coverage ability. We've seen guys, I don't want to say completely fix broken tackles, but like, you know, Earl Thomas had missed tackle problems early in his career. Like, yeah, there, there are guys who can, you can improve at your tackling, especially when like you're a good athlete and like have other things going for you the way Delpit does. Compare, compare ass and like has, of tackling. has the size to yeah. <laughs> compare ass okay. levels of tackling because that's the grant, that's the tier yeah. grant Delpit's in to ass levels of play under pressure. I don't think it's as big of an indictment. I don't think like missing tackles at the same position is not a, like, a huge problem compared to like playing as badly under pressure uh-huh. as Jacob Eason because the range and the athleticism, the ability to be there for the plays is, is yeah. I think, of more value. Yeah, and, and it's also like the percentage of plays that's going to happen in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's going to be as a quarterback. That's going to be a third yeah, at least probably. of your plays, twenty-five to thirty-five percent at least. Um, and then for a safety in the NFL, that's maybe like ten percent. Under ten percent. Under ten percent is trying to make the tackle. And I yeah. think that I think that's a big part of it. Also, and the twenty-five percent rate is still like. I mean, so like a lot of some of that was because he was injured very, uh, you know, he had the ankle injury was just like hobbling around the field against Mm -hmm. Alabama and uh, whoever they played after that. It just like really was limiting him. You could tell. And he missed like six tackles in those two games combined. Um, And so like his rate before back in 2018, where he missed 19.8 percent of his tackles is probably more indicative Mm -hmm. of where he'd be where he is right now, which uh, I mean, if the guy was at 12 percent rate, he's not that bad of attacking safety. Like that's kind of where you're at. So it's bad, but it's not irrelevant recoverably bad mm-hmm. at this point but it's there, there are safeties in the nfl that i think are worse off than grant delpit that don't miss a ton of tackles because they're never there to miss the tackles <laughs> and i think grant delpit's going to be a guy that's always going yeah, to be missing old, uh, a high figure like a high like double digit tackles because he's always there he's like always, that bill james center fielder thing where yeah it's yeah like the center fielder that gets to more balls even if he drops them is better than the guy that doesn't get to yes. more balls but makes every play. Exactly. I think Grant Delpit's in a very similar situation as to the guy you mentioned. I don't watch a ton of baseball, but uh, I'll let you know. That was kinda... just, uh, that's like an anal- popular analytics. Uh... Popular, I guess. I, are you trying to drag me money on the podcast? Yes. Money. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, um, uh, let's move to Edge Fender Etor Gross Matos of Penn State. And the high end, he just has not had the high end level play at the college level. He has not progressed to the point where he's saying the production is very, very good. And I'd say even worse off compared to a Caleb Chase 
Chase Hunter, even Mekhi Becton. This guy has just not graded well at any point, regardless of how you, you know, mm-hmm. what facet you look at, or if you go to true pass rush snaps, any of those things. Like this guy has not dominated, let alone not dominated. He's just not graded well in any single season at Penn State. And he's he has the size. So he has like the size, the length, those two traits i'm not sure he's like plus plus athleticism like i I think he'll be a fine athlete for the position but i don't think he's you know uh what we saw from like montez sweat last year Mm -hmm. where montez sweat was just like freak of nature athletically the build everything was just like out of this world but then the production was like not great um etor is kind of more just like the the size and build is there the athleticism is just like fine to where i'm not sure there is this like limitless sort of ceiling on him the way people talked about rashawn gary the way people talked about montez sweat having that so i do think that he might be uh it might might kind of just be him might kind of just be like a guy who's like fine um you know at the next level but not i don't see you know first round type of uh production for sure yeah like i said his highest his highest graded pass rushing game this past year was only 78.7 his highest of his career was an 80.1 as a freshman against Georgia State on like 15 pass rushes. So that's, uh, and then as I say, that 78.7 this past year was against uh, whoever they played week one of some cupcake, if I recall correctly. I want, was not, was Etor Gross Matos not on um, Bruce Feldman's freaks list in 2018? I think he was. And not in 2019, but I think he was there before. I'm not sure though, actually. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe not. Anyway, Take but I think, call he, out. but Etor Gross Matos though was. I think there are people that like rave about him having this kind of special athleticism or special tools, but I agree with you. And that if you turn on the tape, you're not coming away with like, Oh man, this guy's a freak. Should we tell the story about the draft guide or no? No, I okay, don't think okay. we should tell that story. Right, let's keep that, that one. Story. Let's keep that one under wraps. If you want to hear that story, maybe send my, you, I was going to say, you'll have to see me at a bar. Yes. Yeah, that, <laughs> that one's tough. Anyway, let's move on from each gross matos. I agree with you one, uh, 100% in that, you know, the red flags. And I, I think that's a very damning red flag. I'll tell you that right now. One of which where I don't feel comfortable taking you on day one, maybe even thinking about other players on day two he's, because yeah, he, he's a mid day two guy um yeah because of that grading and that low grading mm-hmm. profile all right di defensive interior raekwon davis of alabama you, you, when you are an interior defensive lineman and you're trying to project to the next level and you want to be this first round pick or even day two pick you need to offer at least some form of upside or some form of ability Whoa. as an interior pass rusher and, 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 some and, sort of production. Some sort of you production. Should, yeah, production. Yeah. yeah, production is, is is a good way of putting it. But Raquan <laughs> Davis just doesn't have that. And it's and it's not only just that he doesn't have it; he hasn't improved. It's a, so it's a twofold sort of uh, worry here with Raquan Davis. His first year, a double red flag. So his first year uh, as a starter back in 2017, 89.1 run defense grade, 62.7 pass rushing grade. It's a bad pass rushing grade. Second year back in 2018, junior, 90.4 run defense grade. 68.5. So that's a, that's a little better, mm-hmm. but you're still talking about the same vein here. Then this past season, 2019, senior year, 87.9 run defense grade, 71.1 pass rush grade. So still in the exact same sort of boat of just average pass rush. And there's, and like, it's not like he's in a scheme in Alabama that hasn't been like pumping up defensive interior players for like years yeah. in terms of their like production. You had Jonathan, uh, the guy who I always forget his name because he just really boned us in terms of he hasn't been anything in the NFL. Who's the guy who plays for the Redskins now? Jonathan, Jonathan Allen. Allen. Jesus. Uh, Jonathan Allen. Uh, great out exceptionally well in the interior. Quinton Williams is great out exceptionally in the interior as a pass rusher. Guys like Ashawn Robinson. Uh, Jaron Reed did not. Yeah. And they haven't been necessarily pass rushers at the NFL level. Like it, it's, a, it's a scheme that's very much like uh, you're not you're not 
you're not going to be, you're not going to be grading out low uh, because of the scheme. Mm -hmm. Like you are given every opportunity to succeed in this scheme. And he has not, is what I'm trying to get. But I will say this, I think, I think, Talent evaluators with the NFL level and like you know media pundits and stuff are aware of it. Like they're mm-hmm. like, hey, like I think five years ago, yeah. Raekwon Davis is hyped up as his top five pick. This guy that's like got all the size, all the tools. Mm-hmm. He's dominant against the run. Like you can't go on your timeline without seeing him like breaking into the backfield and making a play. Yeah. But like now, like I think everyone has better understands the the landscape of the NFL. And that like if I'm going to draft an interior defensive lineman, mm-hmm. the highlights I want on my timeline are pass rush highlights. Guys yeah. that are beating beating interior offensive lineman quick, getting into the quarterback slap and showing that yeah. you can Sorry. more than just just push the pocket too. It's beat offensive lineman right off the snap. Mm-hmm. And he's just not a high motor guy. You're not no. going to describe him as a high motor guy whatsoever, but I still think he does have day two type of value. Like you get like onto the third round. Like I think he's a better prospect than Ashawn Robinson was. Like Ashawn Robinson was not an athlete whatsoever. Yeah. Rick on JFC at least has some athleticism and some freakish traits. And I like pretty sure thing in the run game. I mean, like those run defense grades are pretty absurd. So at some point there will be value and he's going to be starting in the NFL for a while with those, with that sort of profile. You just have to realize that if you're going to take him in the first round, you're not going to recoup your value. No, not at all. All right. Moving to the next guy in the buyer beware list. It's on PFF.com. By the way, if you want to see the full write up, the full list, go to PFF.com for now. We're going to just dive into on the podcast center, Lloyd Cushenberry of LSU. And, and I think this one, we talked about it on on Tuesday podcast mm-hmm. yesterday. We talked about wanting to move forward with each year from a grading perspective, showing that development, that that growth in the grading profile is very important because it hints at that you're going to continue to get better at the next level and your ceiling has yet to be hit. With Lloyd Cushenberry, took a bit of a step back in 2019, did not kind of take that major step forward that maybe some project, projected. And with that, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry again, it's hard to project how how good is this guy going to get at the next level. Mm-hmm. And, and that's things he gave up the most pressures of any center in the country this past year you get 34 pressures now they passed i think more than anyone else in the yeah, country yeah, like and it was a lot of um gosh what am i thinking the last gap protection a lot of only five man protection uh, a lot of empty sets like who uh, was put in a situation where it was like you were trial by fire he was given a lot of one-on-ones and when you lose a lot of those one-on-ones though it's like uh was that you know is that is that a good thing or is that uh that, that he had that practice or is that a bad thing that you know the practice led to him being very bad so um he did redeem himself i will say he, like we talked about in the other pod that at the senior bowl 75 percent win rate in the one-on-ones highest of any guy there uh and the interior line that was 12 reps though over the course of three days of practice like we we always talk about these one-on-ones like if you really don't get that many still and so it i will put more of my faith in the sort of what we saw on tape for 256 true pass sets this past year that led to him having you know one of the lowest uh grades on those true pass sets in any center in the country so he really is slow footed uh, i don't think he like is going to react well to quickness at the nfl and again it could be ugly out the gate if you're expecting him to be this massive upgrade pass pro similar to garrett bradbury last year like he's not going to be a pass pro out the gate that's not going to be where he succeeds uh maybe in time he has the traits to do so but right out the gate if you're expecting this guy to turn around your offense line just buyer beware yeah right now he's 87th on pff's draft board moved up a bit after the senior bowl but yeah. again a guy like, i'm saying like third late third is mm-hmm. where like I'll take that guy. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. All right. Last guy on the list here on the buyer beware list on PFF.com. Bryson Hopkins of Purdue. This guy drops the football. Any drop rate over 10% for receiver or tight end, you start to get a little scared. Mm -hmm. Because over 10% is one of those numbers where like if you're over that percentage, it's probably it's going to be a problem. And it's tight ends another position where it's like that guy has to have good hit. Like Mm -hmm. the, the role you're playing is like move the chains on third down, catch the ball in the red zone. You're like 
for the vast majority of tight ends in the NFL that aren't, you know, absurdly, uh, you know, that aren't maybe, you know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, like that aren't downfield threats. You got to be able to catch the ball. Not a single tight end that, that you know, had uh, that was targeted 65 times this past year had a drop rate over 10%. Bryce Nopkins said that every single year of his college career, four That's years absurd. straight over 10%. And, you know, for his entire college career is like over 15% drop rate. It's just, it's been awful. His hands have been awful. He's never ranked above 78th in the FBS in terms of drop rate. Mm-hmm. And, and, but okay, so talk to me about drops and how that factors in for even just receivers and tight end. When you are evaluating this receiving position drops, it's when you get over that 10% where it becomes a real concern. But how far does that drop him down boards, in your opinion? Fuck, that's the that's the part that's always so difficult to sort of... Because you go back to percentage of plays. You, like, you're only dropping it on yeah. 10 to 15% of plays. Yeah. You're only missing a tackle on 10 to 15% of your plays. Here... It's still very, I think it's still, I think, situational too. Like third downs, red zone, you can't be dropping the football at a high rate. And you it just can't yeah. or, or else it really, it ends drives. And it depends point. on scheme. And it's that that's the biggest, that's me hedging my answer here and saying that someone else has to decide it. But it depends on They're what you want out. out of your, I know, it depends on what you want out of tight end. And I said this about Noah Fant last year with the Broncos. The way they use that tight end and, you know, Shanahan scheme that it brought over is very much like, I wasn't too worried about it with no fan. I think he was going to like, he, that was going to be the ideal fit for him in terms of crossing routes, deep overs, uh, you know, vertical routes down the seam, that sort of thing. Hands aren't as big a deal. Then I want a guy that's fast. Like yeah. I want a guy that can actually test the defense in that regard. If you're using him like, you know, Dallas used to use Jason Witten option routes underneath, you know, your chain mover guy don't want Bryson Hopkins. No, I don't even want to touch that's Bryson That's a great Hopkins. point. I mean, I think those are guy. very two different usages of a tight end. Yes. Jason Witten, like you need the guy to catch football every time. Yes. Because you're going to him on third down. You're, yeah. you're expecting him to catch football over the middle and have yeah. these ball skills to make those plays. Compare Noah Fant's ball skills and how atrocious those are to Bryson Hopkins and what he brings to the table in that regard. Um, so I, Fant's worse. Or I Fant's think Fant, worse. Yeah, I think Fant was worse in terms of just tracking the ball. Uh, Hopkins just has so many concentration drops as well, though. Like he just like that ball, he'll be like hands, perfect place. And then just clang off his hands. Stone I, hands. I, yeah. Just so in the gauntlet drill, we're going to need to keep an ear down, you know, cause it's all, so I think Hopkins will be better in like hands. contested situations than fan. Will he be tracks the ball better, but maybe like fan, uh, but Hopkins might just have more drops in total. He'll just drop a lot more easy ones possible. Did you ever read that about the gauntlet drill? How like scouts will like try and listen? Cause it's like, how hard oh, does the ball hit no, your hand? It's like it's like, it's like, Hey, like ball hits your hand. It's like, did you hear it? Cause if he like just accepts the ball, it's then, like a whisper, but mm-hmm. if it like, it's just banging on hands, like, Oh, this guy, drop got it. this guy doesn't got it. But, um, I think I might do that when we go to the combine though, I'm going to get my headphones out a little, oh, you know, and try okay. to make, make sure what we're doing here. That's you know, going to do let it. You watch those, That's going to do it for the YouTube version, the live YouTube version of the podcast but right now if you are listening on spotify apple podcast stitcher or wherever you get your podcast we are going to do the curtis weaver interview i had a chance to talk with him a very funny interview he's a good dude we're gonna be excited to see him at the combine see what he weighs in at the combine but that's gonna do it for two for one drafts this has been austin gale mike renner again two for one drafts Um, so yeah, we can go ahead and jump right into this, man. I, um, big, big, biggest reason why I want to talk to you, you're, you're very high in, in, on PFF's radar in terms of where we see you kind of fitting in the NFL, the production that you've had at Boise State, high pass rush production, all that stuff. Some, some clerical stuff here. I, I know that you had a little bit of an ankle injury late in the season, and how, how much did that affect your on-field play? I know you didn't miss a ton of snaps, but you, you still played through it. How did that affect kind of your end of season? Um, yeah, not making no excuses is, um, like to start things off, but um, it like ankle play plays with the like your bend and your pass rush. Like that's what was a big thing for me was bending, turning that corner and helping me get to the quarterback. So uh, 
the ankle the ankle injury would like affected my band. I can feel uh, real quick, but uh, a lot of adrenaline came into play, so it wasn't hurting that bad. No, no, another thing I wanted to bring up too. So speaking of band, and, and, and just I would love for you to kind of describe, you know, in, in this entire process, you got people calling you, you got NFL teams talking to you, giving you feedback on what type of player, what type of player you are. I'd love to hear from you, like what, where you see yourself fitting into this class, fitting into the NFL. What kind of player is Curtis Weaver? Um, I feel like I'm more comfortable out of the two point stance. So you can go outside linebacker, you can say edge. Um, every NFL team has a different scheme. Everybody looks at me a different way. But for me, I feel comfortable in the two point stance, and that's what I see myself in. Like, I'm not comparing myself to other NFL players, but how Von Miller plays in the two point stance. Um, Clowney can play in the two point stance. There's a lot of two point stance players, and I feel more, most com- comfortable in that. And you played a very versatile role at Boise State. I mean, they had you dropping into coverage a handful of times yeah. in the season. Do you see yourself doing a lot of that in the NFL, or do you kind of want to just pin your ears back after the passer? Where do you see from an, from an assignment standpoint? I see what you're saying from an alignment standpoint. From an assignment standpoint, where do you see your role in the NFL? Um, I'll probably see you talking to my agent more in a pass uh, rush role. But me dropping in Boise State shows my versatility, and I can drop, and um, I'm comfortable with, like, past uh, concepts, all route concepts, so I know, like, what's happening. So it wasn't a difficult thing to do. Like, watching film and stuff helped me um, make things easier. So it sounds like uh, it sounds like the feedback you've gotten, you know, from your agent or from NFL teams, it, you've already received some. What, ha- what has come down to you? What have they said about your game, some positive things, or where they'd like to improve? I'd love to hear what NFL teams see you right now. Um, not that that's not um talking right now. Like an NFL scouts is mostly like background checks as of right now because mm-hmm. I'm still a junior and they like like no one knew what like they didn't have enough time like we did with seniors I believe. So like a lot of that's going to happen. I feel like at the combine and these interviews coming up. But it's like the edge. Um, some um, scouts at the edge. Some scouts at outside linebacker. So we're just uh, we're practicing for both. We're working out for both. So preparing for the combine. Assume did you receive an invite to the combine? Yes, sir. Very good stuff, man. And for that, you know, um, what do you, what, what are you working towards right now from a weight perspective? Is there a goal weight in mind you want to hit, or are you trying to cut? Are you trying to build up? Where where are you trying to go there? Um, we're trying to get uh, like you guys said. We're trying to get the. Fat off, uh, fat boy oh, off. Oh man, you uh, heard that? Was, yeah, <laughs> my friend sent it to me, and I was like, "Man, it, it is what it is." But um, uh, yeah, so we're cutting the uh, fat off, but uh, we're looking we're looking to get down be, um, below the two sixty to two sixty five range. So we're on pace for that for the combine. Um, improve times. We want the times to be great. Set the mark, and yep. Yeah, I mean, for context to that, I mean, we were talking, you know, Mike and I, my podcast host, talking at the, yeah. at the Senior Bowl, talking to some NFL evaluators, and they're saying, you know, because we're so high on you, you know, we we see you as yeah. never, we see you as the seventeenth best player in this class, like we see you as what edge three behind Kurt, uh, Chase Young and AJ Epinesa, but everyone when we see other NFL evaluators, the first thing they bring up is body type. I can't see a transition, so it makes sense that you are prioritizing it. And with that yeah. being said, what, what what diet goal? What diet? things are you doing and what kind of workouts are you doing to kind of get down to that weight um well here at exos are doing a wonderful job uh, talking with the nutritionist with noel she's doing a right job giving me the right portions of food and then brent and jordan giving me the right like workouts so i'm in this thing called club sexy so after workouts, (laughs) yeah after workouts i'll double up and um get a little conditioning there so um anything 
to do to like get that extra like ab in, extra muscle in, extra like t- uh, whatever it is to help get my body right for the combine so that wouldn't be a question when we get there. Club sexy. I think I might need to join as well. Um, for for that too, I want to I want to talk more on that. Are there, are there, what what have some of the challenges been with that? Are there certain foods you're cutting out that you can't do? I know I know uh, Chad Ochocinco, big McDonald's fan. I've said there's some things that make things difficult. I know uh, Josh Allen, the edge defender from Kentucky, had to cut out some foods. Is it what are the challenges for you in the diet? Um, coming from college, you know, like it's um. It was like you didn't have like a lot of money, so you went to the fast food yes. spots. But it's um it's been pretty wet. It's been pretty good. Like it's all a mentality when I think about it. Like mm-hmm. it's what do you want your body? Um, you're eating for money, pretty much. Yeah, like yeah. your body. So I'm not I'm not looking at the bad side of it. I'm looking at the good side of it. Like our three te- um, three meals a day, our vitamins, our fish oils, our um, smoothies, like it's all good. Like I'm not full. I'm hydrating. I'm drinking my gallon and a half a day. So I'm, I'm good. I'm pretty good. Yeah. There you go. That's good, man. I've talked to other guys, man, that really, really struggle when, you know, trying to cut and stuff. I was talking to you know, on the opposite end, Akeem Davis Gaither of App State, one of the linebackers in this class. He got up. Yeah. He had to get up to two nineteen, and he said he was eating six thousand, seven thousand calories a day. That sounds insane. Like I don't even know how you guys put yourself yeah. through that. But I mean, it sounds like a worthwhile process. So much gets gets put into how much players weigh in at forty yard time, all that kind of stuff. So prioritizing that makes sense. I want to get back to the field now, though. Talk to me. Preparation is so important at a lot of positions. Quarterback, obviously, most important, and receiver, corner, those things. In a given game week, walk me through. You know how you're attacking. Op- you know your opposition. How are you preparing for your opposition in a given game week? Uh, not to give like any um, secrets away because I got to keep mine to myself. Uh, secret but, uh, sauce. I thought nah, we were um, but that. you start uh, you start off the week. You watch some game film, like see how they are, like what you're gonna get, um, the things they get through the game, how they change, how they go, how they go throughout the game, and then the next day you go more technical. You watch who you're going against, your matchup for the week, um, essentially. So you ask your coach for tips. You you go to the offensive line coach. You ask for tips like, all right, this type of blocker he is. What's the best move for this and stuff. And then um, a little weird thing is like like you said earlier, I dropped a lot this year. So like one of all um, one of my um, a lot of my close friends were DBs. So the back four of our um, defense and like during like days when I had like I was just waiting for them to finish up film I'll go in their room and watch what kind of route concepts we had or the other team had so it'll help me like when I dropped it made things easier I know what I would do and it was like and the communication level was high so that was a big thing too and then um, Thursday Friday if you didn't know it you didn't know it but I always always wanted to I always had it on Thursday Friday like you only wanted like maybe one or two questions coming into the week And, and game day it's you don't have to study no more because you know it's just pin your ears back in. Let's play. I don't want to. I don't want to ask for too much of the secret sauce. But if I go back to one part of that, when you are watching the specific player, the specific <laughs> offensive tackle you're about to go against, is there? Can you give me any insight on some of the things you look for? Is it stance? Is it athleticism? Is it you know reads or any tells? I would love to know when you're looking at. Hey, I'm going to be going against this guy for 50, 60 snaps this weekend. This is what I need to know. Um, yeah, it goes into like, like you said, stance. Like, does he kick back hella fast? Does he kick? Um, does he? Is he strong? Is he athletic? Like, there's like everybody's different in their own ways. Everybody's great in their own ways. So you got to see what makes them great and what makes them bad. So you always want to attack the bad, but there's some guys who like they're bad 
might be it might they might be fifty fifty. So you have to um, switch it up on them a lot. So it just goes in every week. Everybody's different. And, and do you watch any film on yourself at any point? Maybe not in the game week, but in the off season to try and critique what you're doing and get better in that regard. Um, yeah, I'm watching film on myself right now, but usually Sundays were the days like you watch what you could have done, but, um, it's not what what you could have done, but never like, Oh, like I didn't put all my heart out out there. Like that's never a question. It's just, Oh, I could have done this move different. It's never like the effort standpoint of things, but yeah, right now we're going over, um, I'm looking at what I could do better for the next level, what I have to get better at. And like, just knowing more of the defense, not just what I. I have the front seven has more like everybody. Yeah. Let's get into those moves. I mean, every time I talk to a lot of pass rushers over the past few years, uh, Brian Burns, Josh Allen, Chase Winovich, these guys, I mean, these guys are in the first thing that always comes up that where they get most excited is talking about the, the, the list of pass rush moves they've got, how they prepare and what goes into their head pre-snap. Let, give me some insight on the pass rush moves you lean towards, some of your favorite moves, or how, how exactly you put together this tool belt. A lot of people refer to it as a tool belt of pass rush moves. Um, yeah, the tool belt, um, like you said, Brian Burns, I watched him out of college. His tool belt was probably the heaviest out of all <laughs> pass rushers. He had every move you can probably see. And then, like, watching other guys around the um, – around college, like K-Love from LSU, Chase, AJ, all those guys, like everyone has their own pass rush move. But for me, it was um, just your get off. Like I always want to, I always practice my get off. So once you get a good get off, then I went to, um, you can go from double hand swipe. You can go from dead arm. You go from all those moves out of, that's just off of a good get off. Mm-hmm. And then what I didn't have this year, like that people already know is I didn't have that bull rush factor like other guys did. So um, right now we're working on the bull rush with um, D-line coach. Coach Tuck, so he's helping me with that to put that in my arsenal. And like, I always like to spin move, but like, um, it was like time and place. Like, like Dwight Freeney said, um, he specialized in the spin move. Watching his film, like, you got to know, you got to sell it, you got to know when to hit it and things like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, when you're you know when you're lining up, you're in that two point stance. Is what's going through your head the first move you want to attack them with, and maybe a counter, or are you kind of Maybe you don't even think of where you want to go until you're two, three steps into the get off. When, when do you kind of decide, or is it all instincts? I don't know. I need to know. Um, it's it's a, a pass rush plan. So you have your first move and your counter, mm-hmm. and then if like like you're not gonna get them every time. Like we looked about it, you have like 80 snaps a game, and you get what two sacks a game. Mm-hmm. So you know, like it's a low chance of pass rush. But um, you want if you get caught up in your two moves, you want to have like a quick instincts to get off and maybe get a third effort move to get that effort hit on the quarterback. Maybe get a um, effort sack, a, a cover sack, great. Um, and the DBs, but yeah, it's um, it's all pass rush plan. That's what I look into it. Like your first move and your counter move. Yep. So that's what you work through the week and through off season. Good man, that's great. I mean, uh, looking ahead a little bit now, what are you most looking forward to at the combine? I mean, talking to the guys, the players there, they say it's busy as hell. That's the first thing yep. I say. It's like, dude, you, you don't have time to breathe even, but literally eat. And you're, you're doing interviews. You're doing interviews with teams. You're doing interviews with media. Then you got the drills, all that stuff. If you're looking, what are you most looking forward to there uh, to kind of prove yourself? Is it the interview process? Is it the testing? I, I would love to know. Um, you want to you wanna show out everything you do, interviews, testing. That's all going to help you in the draft. But for me, it's just 
I'm going to just enjoy it because there's a lot of guys and co- there's a lot of college football players who don't get that invite. And yeah. you got to look at them. They'll, they'll do a lot just to get that invite. Like they'll snap their arm to j- get that invite. You got to look at that um, aspect of things. So I'm just going to enjoy the moment, take um, advantage of it, get these great interviews in, um, get a great combine in and show my skill set, and then see the other great players will be there.